Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 61, and we're reviewing I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. I, I can only imagine what people think when we talk about this anime and they haven't heard of it before. Or if they see our posts on Instagram or Twitter and they're like, what the fuck is that? I mean, I remember when I first heard of this movie and I had no idea what it was about. I thought it was about like, I thought it was like a zombie romance film for some reason. Like cannibalism or something? Yeah, yeah and then I thought of, of cannibalism, but then uh, like at least the movie kind of explains where it got the title from um, in the first five minutes and then it becomes significant. But yeah, that was interesting choice of title, I guess. And I'm, I appreciate that they explain that right away because, yeah, I, I would have been sitting there the whole movie thinking, when are they going to eat the pancreas? Do I want to watch them eat this pancreas? But no, they, they explained it pretty quickly that it's a, it's a metaphor for some other stuff, which we'll get into in just a moment. But we do want to share some exciting news on the JoJo front. For those of you who watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you probably know that part six, Stone Ocean, is um, soon to be here. And over the weekend? No, earlier this week. Yeah. At the Netflix Festival Japan 2021 event, they announced the premiere date for Stone Ocean. And it is December 1st, 2021. Christmas is coming early. They, they told us a while ago it was going to be December, but I thought it was going to be late December at the soonest. So I was pleasantly surprised that we're going to be getting this um, even sooner than expected. But as we shared before, we are doing a weekly episodic review series of Stone Ocean over at our other podcast, Strictly JoJo. So if you're not listening to that podcast, if you haven't, um, you know, ventured over there, please do so, um, especially by December 1st so that we can, you know talk about jojo together we've got some other episodes um because we just finished up our part two review series we've got other episodes that we're working on some discussion stuff um, we're gonna have a guest on and then right at the beginning of december we're gonna kick things off it'll still be monday episodes um as it has been but instead of bi-weekly we'll be doing those weekly reviews and what's interesting is that netflix is actually releasing the first 12 episodes of stone ocean all at the same time is that Ooh. right Yes, they're doing yeah. a 12-episode batch. Boo, indeed. But we'll still do weekly stuff because we want to take our time reviewing this um, this amazing part of the JoJo story. Well, we're going to probably watch all 12 episodes. Okay, yeah. Right? <laughs> like that, that night it releases, but yeah, we'll stagger our reviews. Yes. I mean, we to be fair, we, we double watch everything before we go into um, you know reviewing that particular episode. So yeah, we're going to blow through the 12 episodes then rewatch everything for our review. And then I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of it because 12 episodes is definitely not going to be enough time to finish Stone Ocean. Um, so I don't know if they're going to release another 12-episode batch in like a couple months or if they're going to move to weekly episodes. I, I have no clue. I don't know. I mean, I was hoping that Netflix would kind of fix the bad blood that it's created for itself with like the anime community with what they've been choosing to do so far with their slate of anime titles. Um, the 12 episode thing doesn't sit well with me, but I, I guess I'm glad it's not like the entire series. Um, but yeah, we'll see what they have in store. Another fun anime update, not really like news related, but um, an update on our front. 
I recently finished Oran High School Host Club. Holy shit. It only took hmm. me forever. I mean, to be fair, I did start it back in the day, um, but I dropped it. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't stick with me, I think. I think I gave it like three episodes and then I dropped it. Um, but my sisters were really, really into it and they watched it dubbed. And I think I was just turned off by it because back in the day, dub was all that was really accessible for us. And I am not a fan of the Oran dub. I think it's um, it's a little campy, especially when it's sitting alongside like other other great dubs like Death Note, Bebop, etc. Um, but my sisters have been pestering me for quite some time, and I finally gave in and gave Oran High School Host Club another shot, watching it subbed, which is interesting because one of the main characters has the same voice actor as Light Yagami, and he shines in this role as Tamaki. And you know his name. I always forget it. What's what's the voice actor's name? Mamoru Miyano. He is a crazy dude if you've ever seen any interviews of his and yeah, I think he just really shines in this role. And it was so fun to to hear his voice acting performance in the show. So I thoroughly enjoyed Oran High School Host Club. It's over the top, but intentionally over the top. And it does it well. And it was just such a fun ride. And would you be interested in watching it? Probably sometime in the near future. Um, can I just note? to our listeners that you finished this over the course of i think two days no no three days okay <laughs> two and a half uh-huh. to three days <laughs> yes i had some i had some time on my hands this weekend so i kind of binge i mean i binge through literally every anime that i watch um but i binge through oran because i enjoyed it that much i wanted to to finish it quickly because i couldn't wait to see what happens next but it's a really mm-hmm. good show. Yeah, that's how every anime gets you. <laughs> Not so. every anime, okay? No, it's every anime. <laughs> hey, there is one that I've been watching recently that's like a slower bu- slower burn, and that's Hyoka. It's good, but it's just not grabbing my attention, so that's going to be a, a slower burn for me. So not literally every anime. Okay, majority. But, but close to yeah, literally. 99%. percent <laughs> um, but I mean, I've, I've heard about Oran. Was it Oran High School Host Club? Yes. Uh, I feel like it, it's been kind of like a meme in the anime community now. Um, so I, I know a little bit about it. Um, but yeah, maybe we could consider it as one of the throwback anime that we watch in the future. So. Yeah, because we haven't done one in quite some time. I think the last throwback that we did was Death Note. I'm pretty sure, yeah. So there you go. If anyone's interested in us doing a review on Oran High School Host Club and taking you way back to the early days of you know our generation of anime, reach out to us. You can send us an email. You can contact us on Instagram at The Strictly Series or at Twitter or on Twitter. <laughs> I always say it that way. On Twitter at Strictly Series. Let us know if you'd be interested in that. Meanwhile, I will still try to finish Marmalade Boy. How far so. are you? Have you watched anything no, recently? No, okay. I haven't. <laughs> That's because GTA came out, right? <laughs> that and you know, work is starting to wind down, so I, I'll have a log of things to catch up on. Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to make Marmalade Boy my priority alongside our seasonal watches, but I don't know. It'll feel like... A breath of fresh air when you finally finish Marmalade Boy. A weight off your shoulders. Yeah. Hopefully you're enjoying it, though. I am. It's just, you know, I think this is like the third arc of the show. And it's kind of the, like, same formula, I guess. Like, it's just repeating 
stuff that's already happened like in terms of the romantic relationship but i think that's why i'm so like nonchalant about finishing it um although i the next episode that i'm supposed to watch is supposed to be a big one but you've been saving it yeah (laughs) yes well yeah my goal is to end that show by hopefully the end of the year hopefully sooner but we shall see so let's get into the main topic of this episode, which is I want to eat your pancreas. Wow. I have to say, I, I I had heard that this movie was very cliche, very predictable, very um, formulaic. However, it was great. I, don't get me wrong. I agree. It was predictable. It was cliche, et cetera. But I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's the best anime movie I've ever seen. It's it's not at the level of A Silent Voice, at least for me, because that's one of my favorite anime movies ever. But I thought it was a solid story. I guess if we're talking about cliche, this movie felt like if Nicholas Sparks wrote an anime film. Oh, shit. That's right. a good way to describe it. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing through the whole film, I was just thinking this just reminds me of A Walk to Remember. Um, yep. you know, like that <laughs> that sappy teenage Roman romance film from what early 2000s with Mandy Moore and what was that guy's name? I think Shane West or whatever. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, like in, ter- in those kinds of terms, it's your standard um, teenage drama film i wouldn't consider it a romance because that's what i had thought originally um that this was going to be a romance film but as much as there were cliches um you know this is a term we've used a lot in the past but not so much more recently um you want to talk about expectations being subverted uh because obviously with the whole thing with um sakura's terminal illness you think that's what's going to what she's going to eventually succumb to, but then you find out it's something else. Um, so I, I, that was a kind of interesting aspect of the film. But um, yeah, other than that, it, it was not as typical as I had thought. Same here. Um, I, I think it it's both predictable and unique at the same time. Like the story beats, for the most part, are predictable, except for that that plot twist um, towards the end of the movie however there is still a level of uniqueness that i really enjoyed that i'll go into probably after the synopsis because it's kind of it it would pretty much hit on a lot of the main points of this movie but i do want to call that out because again like i've heard so many times that this movie is predictable because there's kind of it's got a good rating and it has a good following but there is also a small subset of people who have watched it who are like this is the most predictable boring movie ever and so i was worried going into it um but no i think there's there's more credit due here in terms of their ability to take some some tropiness that you normally see in these types of movies and go against that and again i'll, I'll dive into that in a little bit but I know that this review is going to be slightly different where we're not breaking things up into acts, right? We're kind of talking holistically about the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll we'll kind of talk, I guess, more holistically about everything. Um, I think we did that with our, our last movie review. And it's it just depends on the movie itself. Like I think the story is pretty contained here where it's not as easy to kind of break it up into big acts like we did with The Silent Voice. Um, so yeah, maybe just talking high level about everything. I'm not really high level, but, you know, talking generally will be the way that this discussion will go. So let's jump into it with that synopsis. Actually, before that. Oh, um, oh, okay. Just kidding. I (laughs) I don't know. I I just had a fun fact. Um, 
So the there was actually a 2017 live action film that came out before this anime film adaptation. Um, live action was 2017, and then the anime was 2018. And I believe the lead role in the live action film um, for Haru was played by Takumi Kitamura. Um, the only, uh, well, he played Takamichi in the live action Tokyo, Tokyo Revengers film. And I think I had told you this prior to watching this movie. I was like, oh, the guy who plays Haru is the same guy who played Takamichi. But I got that all twisted. Um, I, don't know, it, I thought it was just very coincidental because with Tokyo Revengers this year, we had both the anime come out as well as a live action. And then with I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, there's a connection to there with like the actor. And then there's like the live action and anime adaptation of this. That's interesting because I've never heard anything or seen anything, no pictures, nothing about the live action I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. I wonder mm-hmm. if it did well. Or yeah. if it was just kind of a, if it fizzled out. I mean, I always draw my references to anime, um, mostly from Wikipedia. And yeah, there's not much about like the the live action or the anime film, like gross or how it grossed in the box office or like reception or critical reception. Um, but yeah, just a fun fact there. Also, I had to kind of research what what the purpose of the pancreas is um, in the human body because I don't, <laughs> I never really paid attention in science class or like the the digestive system unit. <laughs> um, Enlighten us, because I don't really know either. <laughs> um, so, quick facts from Google is that during digestion your pancreas makes pancreatic juices called enzymes these enzymes break down sugars fats and starches your pancreas also helps your digestive system by making hormones oh i didn't know that part Mm -hmm. well there you go whoever said you didn't learn anything from an anime podcast (laughs) (laughs) and i think um well i know in the movie it's never explicitly mentioned um what illness that sakura has it's just a pancreatic illness yeah. in general um but i think the assumption is that it's pancreatic cancer which is the same thing that um alex trebek the host of jeopardy had before he passed away um and i know the survival rate on that is, is pretty low so kind of kind of fitting i guess for um sakura in this movie to you know want to live out her life as much as she can And with that said, let's go into our synopsis and discussion for I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, also known as Let Me Eat Your Pancreas, is the 2018 anime film adaptation of a novel written by Yoru Sumino, produced by Studio Voln and directed by Shinichiro Ushijima. The film starts off with a major spoiler alert. Female lead Sakura dies. As family and friends attend her funeral, Male lead No Name mourns by his lonesome as he reflects on the last cannibalistic text he sent Sakura, I want to eat your pancreas. We are then treated to a two-hour flashback of No Name's relationship with Sakura, which starts after finding her quote-unquote death note in a hospital waiting room and her explaining that she is suffering from a terminal pancreatic illness that gives her a little less than a year to live. She finds herself drawn to old No Name because of his nonchalant response to her condition and his obliging to keep her illness a secret, 
and decides to butt into his relatively boring and antisocial life despite the qualms of teenage social hierarchy. After a significant overnight trip to Fukuoka, where the pair warm up to each other but in a perfectly non-sexual way, No Name decides to help Sakura cross off activities on her bucket list. Sakura's best friend Kyoko and ex-boyfriend Takahiro do their darndest to fend off No Name with their teenage angst, but the film's best boy stands his ground and stays by Sakura's side. Sakura is suddenly hospitalized much to No Name's worry, but they secretly sneak out to watch fireworks and share a chicken tender moment. No Name waits at their favorite... (laughs) (laughs) Chicken tender moment. Yeah, it was a a chicken tender moment between the both of them. I just ruined (laughs) the seriousness of this very serious movie. (laughs) You know, yeah, I mean, this is... As much as, you know, it's a serious topic um, and a, a serious story, just try to inject a little bit of humor. And chicken. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Moving on, No Name waits at their favorite cafe for lunch on the day of Sakura's discharge, but heads home when she mysteriously does not show up or respond to his texts, and learns of the heartbreaking breaking news that Sakura was fatally stabbed in a random incident. After no showing at her funeral, No Name musters up the courage to visit Sakura's mother, and she bequeaths him with Sakura's death note, containing her last farewell and well wishes for her antisocial anti-antagonist, whom she believed she was destined to meet. Confirmed by No Name's name reveal, Haruki, the spring tree to Sakura's cherry blossom. Haruharu decides to make amends with Kyoko by showing her Sakura's death note, and despite a rocky start, the two begin a friendship thanks to Sakura injecting some character development into Haruharu. In a post credit scene, Haruharu and Kyoko visit their friend's grave as a lone cherry blossom petal poetically perches on top of her tombstone. Her pancreas may not have been eaten, but this movie sure took a bite out of my feels. I was trying to hold in the rest of my laughter about <laughs> chicken tender. <laughs> I'm going to use that from now on. Sharing a chicken tender moment. If I just suddenly start laughing in the middle of this review, just know it's because of chicken tender. Ooh, okay. So, um, yeah, this movie, like I said, I I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was just... Um, I don't know. It, it never pushes the boundaries or does anything crazy. This is a very safe, very simple story. But I think that's okay because we're following Haruki's journey and he is plain as fuck. So it kind of all goes together. I think if this were a wild, you know, crazy journey that these two go on, um, it, it would, I feel like he would fall to the background, essentially. Like it's this, the story would overpower him if it were anything other than safe as it is. And I feel like their relationship is kind of typical, too. Um, there was a show that you mentioned. Uh, it's not like Nagatoro, but it's like the, the male lead is always this, like, very anti-social, like, or not, like, socially inept or um, nonchalant person, and then the female has the more vibrant personality. Uh, I could kind of see that with uh, Haruki and... Uh, Sakura in this one. Yeah, well, I think Nagatoro is is a good example of that. But no, that that's a very big um, anime trope is that that kind of dynamic. Even the other way around, where like the girl is very, um, you know, very like timid, very scared, and she meets like this really popular hot boy who takes an interest in her. 
particular thinking of um i think say i love you is one of those anime that that has that dynamic but yeah i think regardless of of the roles i think there is that dynamic of like one character being quiet and reserved and the other one being outgoing usually very popular komi-san is kind of like that komi can't communicate but yeah. like kind of backwards because komi's the popular one and tata knows not but he's the socially like comfortable one and she's not but anyway um yeah, I think like that that I think that falls into what people are saying that this is a very cliche movie. However, I, I kind of want to go back to what I was saying before about this movie kind of going against at least in my opinion a lot of anime tropes and doing it with success. Um and that it had some unexpected and, and refreshing elements. I think the biggest thing here is that it's not some big fucking drama fest like most mm-hmm. anime. Um, despite the incredibly sad situations, this movie always tried to focus on the positives. And I think that's the way the the storytelling style is. But I think it's also trying to parallel Sakura's personality. Because as we learn later in the story, she was crying. She had struggles. She was afraid of dying. She just didn't want to show that to anybody. So I think it's it's like twofold here. The story, the storytelling style that, that the creator is choosing is something that's more positive. Even the colors and the environment are always super bright and lively. Um, and then again, with Sakura just, you know, trying to to hide what's going on kind of behind the, the scenes, behind the curtain. I think that that that's why the, the movie chooses to do things this way. Don't get me wrong, though. The story itself was decently predictable, which is why, again, I, I, I said it plays things safe. But I feel like that was probably the biggest surprise to me is that we're we're not going through some song and dance where they're trying to rip the tears out of you, especially because I recently finished Fruits Basket. And if anyone has watched Fruits Basket, you know, like that is one of the most emotional, dramatic shows in anime. But that's the intention. That's the storytelling design that they've they've gone with. And it works really well. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting story choice um, that they only briefly acknowledge like, you know, the pain of this situation with her terminal illness. Um, but I think even Sakura mentions that um, when she's talking to uh, Haru, right? That's his name? Haru- Haruki. Haruki, um, about her illness is that um, she has this nonchalant reaction to it, but I think it's because she wants to juxtapose like normalcy versus reality, which is, I think, the term that's that was used. Um, and like you said, it's it's not completely overshadowing the, the truth of the situation, which is that she only has so much time to live. But like you said, really focusing on the positive aspects of it. And I think that's why she's so drawn to Haruki is that he doesn't bring so much attention to the limited time that they have together. Um, and just, he still treats her much like a, a normal person um, and I feel like she kind of forces him to to join her on her like bucket list activities. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, I think the line was like, "I'll do you the favor of letting you come along." And this guy's like, I, "No, I just wanna." I just he wants wanna. to Yoshikage Kira and live a quiet life. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it was nice that they kind of just focused on the positive moments, then making the whole movie this dramatic fest. Yeah, let's expand on that a little bit more because I, I really, really love this. Don't get me wrong. I love the drama that we get in a lot of anime, especially a lot of slice of life anime. That's the thing, right? But here it was just so refreshing to not have that. 
Um, it, it didn't feel like it was trying to force these tears out of your eyes. Even the most intense or sad moments were mild by comparison to other anime or other anime movies. Um, we never saw Sakura sick. Even when we got that moment where Haruki was like, you know, for the first time I, I got a dose of reality with, you know, her illness and she was admitted to the hospital. I thought he was going to go there and she'd be like hooked up to a bunch of machines and like half awake. Um, but she was fine. She was dancing. We never saw her collapsing from her disease. Again, we never mm -hmm. saw her crying until Haruki read her book and it was revealed later on that she would cry in secret. Even then, they were very quick moments of her crying. Um, we never, uh, we never saw her get stabbed. Right, like we find out that she does get stabbed, but we see absolutely nothing related to it. Mm -hmm. We see almost uh, very little of the funeral, and there were no lingering dramatic scenes of Haruki finding out about Sakura's death or him crying. Like he finds out on the news that she got stabbed, and he has that moment where he collapses on the stairs and kind of just doesn't know what to do with his emotions, and then it it moves on from there. Um, I think the most dramatic part of the movie is him crying at the end. Yeah, I think that like for them to save that emotion for that very moment was was the right choice as well. A hundred percent. We get very mild emotions, very mild moments throughout the entire movie, and then you just get slapped in the face with this beautifully done crying scene where he's read this book. He he's read her final words, her farewell note to him. And he knows that what he's going through is nowhere near on the level of what her mother is going through as she sits across from the table. And he, he actually stops and asks her, like, he says, I'm so sorry to ask you this because he acknowledges that she's going through a much harder time than he is. But is it okay if I cry? And then just lets it all out. And this is a, a completely emotionless, like, again, plain as fuck kid, just finally tapping into all the emotion that he's gone through probably even even beyond this journey with Sakura. I just, oh, the, the buildup to that moment made his emotions so much more intense than, you know, if they had given us all these other dramatic scenes throughout the movie. It's kind of like what happens in a silent voice um, without spoiling that too much. But yeah, for them to just save Haruki's emotional moment um, for, for the very end, or like the only emotional moment that, from him that we see um, I think that's just character development itself because he, like we've seen that he's just so unattached to the world around him until he uh, meets Sakura and she's the one that kind of opens him up to knowing more about like the, the reality of living is just to be like connecting with others and having a, a relationship with others on a more personal level. Um, and like what other person did he have a deeper connection with, with Sakura? And so that's where it's like this emotional outpouring is, is really justified because he cared so much about this person who really sh like opened his eyes up to, to what life is all about. And more to that point, that, that kind of brings me to um, my, I guess my second, I don't know. I don't, I'm not keeping count, but my next point about why this movie is a bit unique in the sense that we don't learn the main character's name, Haruki, until the very end and then we find out that they're actually paired because it's sakura and haruki which i think haruki means like spring tree yeah and sakura is obviously like a cherry blossom that grows on a spring tree so i i love that i i think that plays into his plainness um and kind of his reclusiveness 
in the fact that he does not feel any desire to have a connection with anyone. He doesn't even want people to ask about him or pry into his business. So why would he even want anyone to use his name? He doesn't even use Sakura's name and they're like she's his only friend. Um, so I thought it was a very smart choice to not even give us, the viewer, his name until the very end just to see the impact um, and, and how the, the coincidence of, of their pairing of the two of the pairing of the two of their names. <laughs> I'm trying to like articulate this, um, but it's I don't know. I, just, I thought it was a really smart choice to do that. Oh, for some reason I thought his name was just gonna be something really plain like Bob. Bob, I know. I think we were watching the movie and I was just like, "Is his name or like David like, or something?" <laughs> or like if they would just keep it a secret for the whole thing. Um, but yeah. And then to kind of play into that a little bit more, as you were talking about with um, Sakura and Haruki, I I totally personally ship them because I think that they've got um, a very interesting dynamic, but. I surprisingly enjoyed that they didn't fall in love necessarily. I think there was, you know, a level of caring about each other, but she says it, I think, multiple times that she didn't fall in love with him. She just cared very much about him. And the focus was on their relationship changing each of them in different ways and growing through each other. But this is another way they've kind of, you know, subverted the anime trope. The two main characters aren't actually in a romantic relationship. It really truly is a platonic friendship. Well, Okay, maybe not totally platonic, but <laughs> it's just a pure friendship, um, and that's all we have. That's all we need. And I, I thought that was, again, really refreshing because having watched the amount of anime that I watched, I immediately assumed that this was going to be a romance. Yeah, and even for me, like when we watched like the recent romance, I guess, romance-based anime films, uh, we were always hoping for that romantic connection between the two love interests to to be visualized on screen right um but here i think even how not how to be uh sakura during that like farewell letter sequence where the animation kind of changes um and i think side note there is like it's in reference to the little prince which was i think the only book that sakura really loved um and then i think this the sequence of her saying her farewell to haruki was drawn in the same matter as I believe the cover of the book, um, which is a very interesting visual choice. But I think during that sequence, um, Sakura mentions how she and Haruki have this sort of yin yang relationship, but then acknowledges that the relationship can't simply be defined by love. And as much as you could ship the two of them, I felt comfortable just seeing it like you said just as a really close personal friendship between these two individuals um that you don't really need to define it in romantic terms um it's like you can see that they care about each other but you don't need that element of i'm not gonna say love because like they still love each other but the, you know like the, the kissy touchy-feely stuff <laughs> <laughs> they're not in love they love right. each other but they're not in love right and as clear as that is on Sakura's side, I think it's also clear on Haruki's side because, I mean, the the kid doesn't express any emotion anyway, but I don't think he ever really hints that he's falling in love with her. I think it really is just caring about her because I think the um, when she's admitted into the hospital and her stay is extended, that's when he start, first starts to show some emotion. And it's not because he's in love with her and he's worried about being separated from her. It's because he cares about her as a friend. And he's worried about her well-being. 
and he makes that very clear both to us as the viewer and I think to her when they when they were chatting in the hospital room. Another way that I thought that this movie played into um, not playing into anime tropes is that they tell you up front she's going to die, but they don't tell you how. So mm-hmm. you still have a plot twist. She didn't die of her pancreatic disease. She died because she was stabbed, which is pretty pretty morbid, pretty horrible. And I had a feeling something like that was going to happen. when Because if you think back to the beginning of the movie, Haruki first arrives home, and I think his mom is watching TV, and there's a newscast about a stabbing that was blatantly playing in the background. Like, they weren't even trying to, like, muffle it or hide it. Like, they they were blatantly playing that newscast in the background and foreshadowing what was going to happen. And I was sitting there like, oh, shit, someone's getting stabbed in this movie. <laughs> See, like, I know they never mentioned like who had done the stabbing but i know there's there was the scene where she had kicked the guy in the balls um who was like not a teasing but oh, like verbally like assaulting that like grandmother lady. yeah i thought like we would that would have that was the the suspect but they oh. never really i mean they just attributed it to like a random person um but yeah that that still sent like shock waves through my spine I really think it was smart of them to start the movie with her death and then rewind to the beginning, you know, of her relationship with Haruki. First off, again, I, I think that this is not an anime trope thing because there's a lot of anime where you kind of know somebody, like one of the main characters is going to die, right? Like that's the whole point of the story. Mm-hmm. But they don't tell you that explicitly. You have to go through the journey. You have to, you know, see the character development. You, you have to see the relationships. And they rip that character away from you and make you cry. Here it's like within the first seconds of the movie, you know with certainty that the main character will not survive this story. And I love this, again, that, that we have this in the beginning and then we go back to the beginning of Haruki's friendship with Sakura because it forces us as the viewer to be in that same frame of mind that Sakura and Haruki are in. Her death is inevitable and we have to accept it just like they do. Um, even if that's a struggle, we, we have to accept it. I mean, everyone's going to die, but here we have to accept that her death is coming much sooner than others. And that's what I just kept thinking about this movie. It, it was just kind of hanging over my head, um, knowing that it was coming. But like, once we find out it wasn't be- like, she didn't succumb to her illness. Um, like I said, it, it just took the breath out of me, but I think it reinforces the point that Sakura makes in this movie about like living day by day because you really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow um and i guess that was one thing that i kind of connected with in this movie is i think early on when she's in the library with haruki um she talks about how she wants to live out the rest of her days and it's not really anything extravagant um the one thing she says that stuck with me is she says like every day is worth the same as any other what i did or didn't do today doesn't change its worth and you can see that because like she's just spending time in the library with how or yeah with haruki instead of crossing off this exotic bucket list of like you know traveling to other countries or or doing these these big activities right? yeah her bucket list is all small like small moments of happiness Mm -hmm. like i i don't really remember the specifics of them but they're just like very like on the surface seemingly insignificant things but they're little moments of joy that people in general i think overlook as like very very important in your day-to-day life like 
I, I wrote down some of like the scenes from that montage, which is like they go to a restaurant and just eat like all kinds of pasta or whatever. Oh um, my god, a pasta bar! Yeah. <laughs> Let's go! I would love that. Um, or like they just go bowling, or there was the purikura where the picture booth yeah. scene, um, and karaoke, like all these like very mild activities that you, you could just do with your everyday friends. But I found that more endearing than. Besides them going on that like overnight trip to wherever, um, then having Sakura want to, like I said, travel the world or, you know, eat a cockroach or something. Eat a cockroach. <laughs> Eating, what? Yeah. Because like it, it just reinforces the message. Like, yeah, you should live life by its fullest, but sometimes it's like the little things in life that make make it worthwhile. And I guess in a way, that's like another thing that I guess goes against the trope of certain anime films. Or even just romantic films. Because comparing this to A Walk to Remember, not to really spoil that, but it's not really a movie to spoil, (laughs) at least in my mind, is that movie too has a bucket list and it's of doing like these extravagant things. Um, But no, I I just appreciate something about finding joy in small things. Um, Because it doesn't mean like you, you didn't live a purposeful life if you didn't do anything wild yeah right no i i think that's that's a great way to look at it and honestly doing some self-reflection i think brings that sentiment home because i think about like what's one small thing that just brings me joy no matter what and that's eating chocolate ice cream i love chocolate ice cream like i fucking love ice cream i'll eat it any time of the year we're out here in chicago where winters get really fucking cold and Mm -hmm. i will still eat ice cream i don't care but that brings it's like a small moment of joy for me that i probably don't think about but it does make me happy and i see things in in the the viewpoint of, of sakura here and that would probably be something on my bucket list. If I were to approach a bucket list the same way that she does, I'd probably be like, eat a lot of chocolate ice cream. <laughs> right. Or I guess even the base of it, which I think Sak- the point that Sakura is trying to make to Haruki is, because um, I think, you know, there was a truth or dare question that he had asked her about, like what she defines living as. And she says that living is like connecting with others. Um, and I think that that's the basis of how she wanted to live her day by day. Um, is her relationship with Haruki, which allowed him to develop and eventually learn to open up to others as well. So in that case, I can see it almost like you just hanging out with your friends or with your family. Like if you go out to dinner or like you go bowling or something, again, it's a, it's a very like nonchalant activity to do, but it's the memories of that, that, that you will carry on like for the rest of your life. A hundred percent. And I also love um, to kind of jump on what you mentioned a bit ago. I love that part of what Sakura is doing here is almost as a thank you for Haruki taking the time to let her live a a normal life um, through their friendship. She's like thanking him and, and repaying him through teaching him how to grow. Mm-hmm. by saying these things indirectly to him. Like, she's not flat out saying, you need to go make some friends. You can't live this recluse life forever. She, but instead she says, I feel like it's important to have connections with other people. I feel like it's important to open up to others. And then he starts to realize that she's indirectly saying that he should do the same in order to live a more fulfilling life. And I love how the movie kind of personifies this with, again, a very simple act 
which is the that classmate who always offers gum. The gum kid. <laughs> the gum, yeah. gum guy. <laughs> which, the the no name gum kid. <laughs> um, which is just funny because you know, like gum handing gum to someone is a JoJo reference. Uh, part three Polnareff for anyone who knows that. Um, but in the beginning, like you see this classmate come up to Haruki at school, and you know he's. I think he's talking to Haruki about his his growing relationship with um sakura and you know haruki kind of brushes it off and the guy offers him gum and like he uh haruki declines and then you go off i think right around the time that sakura is being discharged um haruki passes by that same classmate on the street and (laughs) the classmate still offers him (laughs) gum which is just the funniest like this guy just offers gum all the time to people um and Haruki initially refuses, but then backs up and then actually accepts the gum. Again, very simple act, but just so much character development in that. And you can even hear that in Haruki's inner monologue. Yeah, he goes from talking very plain and like just unenthused to still pretty unenthused, but like a little more enthused at the same time. Um, But no, to to talk about that a little bit more, I love how sakura and haruhi haruhi haruki um were very parallel but opposite at the same time particularly at the end how they both kind of admit to each other that they they changed one another and wanted to be like the other because you you typically would would assume that the quiet recluse kid would want to would acknowledge that oh i want to be like you the popular outgoing one who's got everything made but even here sakura's like no i wanted to be like you as well there there was a very equal give and take here which i i really appreciated and um i want to talk a, a little bit more about haruki's character development as well since we're on the topic because honestly, that might be my favorite part of this movie. He's completely walled himself off from other people to the point where he doesn't even want people noticing him or asking about him or giving a shit about him. And I think if it weren't for the fact that he knows Sakura's secret, he would have avoided any attempt she made at befriending him. He probably would have, like the gum kid, would have been like, nah, I'm good. But he begins to um, accept her friendship probably because you know, he knows this big secret and he probably feels a bit of pressure and he also starts to develop as a person. And when he loses the only person he ever cared about in this way and, um, you know, is kind of at a loss, he sort of reverts and, and doesn't attend her funeral. And that's, I think, a big, a big part of the end of this movie because he could choose to go back to the way he was permanently on the notion that it's pointless to open up to others because, because they're going to be so easily taken away or, you know, what's the point in making friends when they're going to, you know, be gone in a heartbeat. But because of how Sakura impacted his life, he instead chooses to continue down this path of connecting with other people. Like, I just, I love that so much. Sakura is not there anymore to influence his decision. He is the one consciously making the choice to not be negative about losing his best friend, but instead continue down the road of everything that she's taught him and push himself to make friends even with the bitch Kyoko. <laughs> yeah, I was about to mention like his his life lessons from Sakura come to a head when he has to not confront Kyoko but like meet with her towards the end of the film which I guess is like almost like the second climax. Um like Kyoko, yeah, I think she's probably one of the things I didn't like about this movie. Just because I think she fills in that cliched teenage angst role um, that 
don't know, it kind of puts a hamper on Haruki's journey with Sakura. But I think it served a purpose because, you know, for Haruki to really learn to open up to someone else other than Sakura, the hardest person he could open up to is Kyoko because she, like, could give less than two shits about him. Especially after learning that Sakura only confided her her secret of her terminal illness in Haruki instead of her best friend, right? Um, but even after, like, she runs out on him, like... He doesn't cower as as he had done during the funeral, but he runs after her, which is that, you know, that cliched anime run after the girl <laughs> scheme that I always see in films. But here again, it's it's different, right? He's not running after his romantic interests, but he's running after someone that Sakura was very close to. And so he wants to, like, kind of live up to her memory and what she's taught him by doing his darndest to friend her as well and that brings me to the last point that i i feel makes this movie a bit unique despite its predictability and it's small but it is haruki and kyoko becoming friends they didn't immediately become friends it took a year we didn't see them as friends until the post credit scene and i love that like it the movie ends with her pissed at him she hates mm-hmm. him and most movies I feel like in anime would probably be some deep conversation where, you know, the the probably in this situation, Kyoko would start to open up to him and be like, okay, well, maybe you're not so bad or I'll be friends with you, but, you know, blah, 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 some condition or whatever. And here it's like Kyoko fucking hates him. She slaps his face and runs away. And the movie ends with him saying, I want to be your friend. But we don't get that immediate confirmation. Mm-hmm. And even then it took a year of them getting to know each other before they finally became close enough um for her to stop being a bitch (laughs) um so yeah i thought that that was another just small but um great choice for the writing and in that post credit scene i just want to call out how did he got that glow up okay he he looked good like he he finally did something with (laughs) his hair hair. yeah he combed his hair he styled it he's like smiling and he his voice doesn't sound super unenthused just you know mildly unenthused now but yeah he got that glow up and I'm, i'm happy to see it Oh, also, Kyoko and the Gum Kid are going to be a thing, I guess. Oh, yeah, they made a very subtle reference to that um, in their conversation. I did kind of, I fell for it at first when I got baited into thinking that Kyoko and Haruki were supposed to get together because she was like, oh, what, are you falling in love with me or some shit? And I was like, no, don't do that to me. If you're not even going to give us a romance <laughs> with Sakura, don't give us a romance with Kyoko. That'd be weird. But yeah. it was just them joking around because then she's like, well, I'm going to go um, kiss the kid with the gum. Yeah, because even throughout the movie, there were hints of, I think he, the kid with the gum, mentioned that he had a crush on her, um, on Kyoko, I think. Um, So I guess full circle in that sense. Just to briefly touch upon um, the music of this film, uh, more specifically the the two songs that we hear, um, the opening, which it's funny that this this movie kind of has its own OP um, at the beginning. Um, which I think it was like a juxtaposition of Haruki and Sakura's kind of separate lives. We see him as like this um, closed off bookworm who like he goes to a bookstore and then Sakura, you know, is like the social butterfly who meets up with her friends. Um, And then you have this opening um, fanfare by Sumika, uh, which I thought was, was appropriate for, to start off the movie um i think it it talks about the the singer's 
having this relationship with someone close to them. Um, and then I think they also did the, the ending theme, which is Shunka Shuto, uh, the four seasons, which just thematically encapsulates, you know, the metaphor of seasons between the, or in the relationship between uh, Haruki and uh, Sakura. Yeah, I don't know much about the the group or the band. I just immediately recognized the lead singer's voice because they did the opening for Wotakoi, and his voice is very distinct, and that song is very distinct. So I was like, I think it's the same group, and we confirmed that it is. Mm-hmm. All right, so I do want to get into just a couple of critiques because the movie's not perfect. But before I do that, I do want to give one lovely shout out to Haruki's dry humor. It was absolutely yeah. phenomenal in this movie. <laughs> like the Death Note reference um, on the train, I thought was great because she was All like, right. "Oh, I'm gonna write your name in my book." He's like, "I'm not." He said something like, "I'm not gonna die." Am I? <laughs> yeah. Um, I just thought it was great, and just yeah, his dry humor overall because Sakura is so. Um, bubbly and goofy and you know kind of a ditz at times and he just plays into that very very well or the scene where they sneak off to watch the fireworks but he says like are you taking me somewhere quiet so you can pull a murder suicide yeah. <laughs> that was so good like he doesn't care either like she's gonna die right and he could you know tiptoe around that fact but he's like yeah he, i don't know he just still makes these references to death and like does it in such a way that's I don't know. I think that's why Sakura wants to be close to him because he just doesn't give a shit, but gives a shit at the same time. Yeah. Again, he's he's just very nonchalant about the situation, and I think that's what Sakura appreciates. Like, he doesn't bring, like, significant attention to it, even though he, he calls it, like, a murder-suicide, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just dry humor. All right, so critiques. I just have a couple of them. Um, first and foremost, you know, I don't like rotoscoping and there was some rotoscoping in this movie and Mm -hmm. it was just weird to me. It's, it's not the worst. I'll give it that. It's not the worst rotoscoping I've ever seen, but like in the, the opening sequence after the funeral. So when we go back in time, um, and the two of them are in the library, there was just a lot of rotoscoping and it just made the characters, at least to me, look like they were completely separate from the environment. Like they're in a library setting, right? But it's almost like Mm -hmm. you just taped them on, like you cut them out of a piece of paper and taped them on. They just seemed so different and detached from the environment versus blended very well. Um, And it kind of bothered me. And to play on that same theme, the character design in this movie is pretty plain, perhaps intentionally because the story is so simple and and safe and, and Haruki is so plain. But it was at times almost too plain for me. Like I wish there was a little more oomph in the character design, but um, it wasn't bothersome by any means. I just you know would have liked something a little bit more. No, yeah, I think it took a while for me to get used to the rotoscoping um, because, as you said, like the, the environments in this, like with any major anime film, um, they're just strikingly beautiful. Like they they look close to real life. Um, and then you have these characters like that just don't move in that anime style. And Sakuga. Yeah. <laughs> Although, do you need Sakuga in this kind of? <laughs> um, but I remember thinking to myself, this could have just been a live action film. And hearing that this was a live action film the year before makes me think: Did they just take scenes from that film and then just reanimate it so it it's in anime form? Um, but after a while, I, I didn't find it distracting. And to your point about the, the 
the character designs. Um, I kind of appreciate that they were plain. I didn't think that they needed to be like sort of over the top just because I don't think that would have fit in service to the story. Um, and it kind of played into that element of not knowing Haruki's name um, in the beginning because it's almost like he could have been a face in the crowd um, until we, we learned that he, he opens up and finds his his true or finds like his true self and you know until he gets that glow up yeah (laughs) well the other thing that i i wanted to i guess put on my critique list is the start of haruki and sakura's relationship it just i don't know it seemed odd like it just suddenly happened and yeah i get that he found out about her secret but i think in the very very beginning of that there wasn't enough there to explain why she felt so compelled to befriend him of all people like later Mm. she explains you know it's because you had no reaction to the fact that i was going to die and i'm sure that was very that that piqued her interest but it was it just all unfolded so quickly and suddenly they were just like doing this thing where they were kind of friends but not really friends and I, i think they needed to just give us a little bit more leading up to to that um for me to not be so confused in the beginning um even at the end i think during the storybook part she says something like i was watching you even before you learned my secret or like before they they formally met each other and i was like i don't understand why like did did she explain that she expound on that because i'm like why were you always watching him or like why why did he pique your interest before he even found out about your secret i think that kind of falls back into like the cliche of um, these eccentric characters falling for the the not so eccentric type. Um, I, you know, the movie kind of explains it as uh, like they met through destiny, but it's yeah. like a, as as poetic as that sounds. Um, like you said, I think they just needed to expound a little more on it. The next thing we've already kind of alluded to um, it's Kyoko. Kyoko was a bitch for like no reason from the moment she was introduced mm-hmm. and Sakura can call it strong-willed I guess um, and I understand that Kyoko is very protective of her but Haruki literally just existed and that was enough for Kyoko to get pissed at him and I I'm not saying that I think she shouldn't be a bitch and I, I don't think she should be a bitch but you know basically she's a Sunday day right and I don't think there's anything wrong with that but they needed to give us more context around her personality in order for us to accept that you know what i mean like yeah she's a strong-willed person but like why why is she a strong-willed person why is she so protective of kyoko i don't understand like she knows all these things about kyoko sakura she knows all these things about sakura like you know she she takes these situations to heart and, and she's very sensitive but like when have you ever experienced this and like why is this all happening the way that it is it just seemed like we were told she's a son today and we just had to accept it yeah i think her character and even uh, Takahiro, the ex, uh, Sakura's ex-boyfriend, I, they just they felt like they were thrown in just as you know, like a check the box thing for like a teenage quote unquote romance film. Um, I think like Kyoko, like I said before, she, like her her annoyance towards uh, Haruki made sense in the context of him wanting to be friends with her like towards the end because that like she basically served as his character development but for them to throw her in it just felt like that quote of or that trope of um like the popular students looking down on 
on the unpopular students. Yeah, definitely. That's a good way to explain it. Like she, she, she kept getting pissed at Sakura for hanging out with him, but wouldn't explain why. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is it just because he's a loser? Like I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Like maybe Sakura is just trying to get to know the guy, which is literally what was happening. Um, and Kyoko, I don't know. It just, I think, and you bring up a good point about um, what's his name, Takahiko. Takahiro. Takahiro. Yeah. Um, you bring up a good point about him too because she tells Sakura tells Haruki that he's actually a really good guy, but it just didn't work out for us. So seeing the only interaction with Takahiro where he punches the shit out of Haruki based on a misunderstanding, and then seeing how Kyoko treats Haruki, I'm like, is Sakura a terrible judge of character? Is she just like really <laughs> blind to how people actually are? Is she is she ignorant to that? Is she just like dumb on some level? But I, of course, I don't think that about her because I've gotten to know her through this movie. But when I think about just these instances, I'm like, is she kind of stupid? Or maybe because she realizes that that Takahiro and Sakura, not Sakura, um, Kyoko have these really strong personalities. And because of that, that's why she feels so drawn to Haruki being like a a normie, I guess. A normie. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, I, I, I fully trust that Sakura knows these these characters, these people well, and that they are good people on the inside because obviously Kyoko and Haruki end up becoming friends after the time skip. But there just is nothing there from an audience standpoint to feel convinced. Like even after Haruki and Kyoko become friends, I still don't care about her. Mm-hmm. I'm not even like excited that I'm not excited for their friendship. I'm just excited that Haruki had that character development where he was able to become friends with her. And that's the problem. Yeah, I think if we had more moments with Kyoko, besides just, I think, the where she confronted Haruki, and then there was the moment in like that dessert cafe, and then the meeting at the end. Those are like the only real instances of us um, seeing Kyoko interact with the characters. If we had more of that, then maybe we could have learned more about like why she was so abrasive. But yeah, we didn't get much of that at, in the end. Yeah. Um, the other critique I have is about that really awkward scene in Sakura's bedroom with her and Haruki. I just found that scene to be odd. Like I need to talk through it. What the hell happened in that scene? So. Sakura hugs Haruki from behind and says that part of her bucket list is doing something naughty with someone that she's not in love with. And I'm like, okay, like you're already slapping the shit out of this kid's face because you're telling him you're not in love with him, but that you want to use him to do something frisky. And I think right before that too, she even said like, you know, you're not going to fall in love with me, are you? And then he kind of gets pissed about the way she asked it. And she's just like really, I think, pushing all of his buttons in this scene. And then she goes in for a pretend kiss and then kind of like brushes it off and i totally feel for haruki in this moment i'm like that's gotta suck because he's a recluse he's probably never even thought that he'd have a chance with a girl and here is like somebody who he genuinely cares about showing him some sort of affection and he kind of snaps at her and pins her down on the bed and then like does this weird breathing thing on top of her Mm -hmm. and i'm like this is uncomfortable and she's getting uncomfortable and he's hurting her and then he finally snaps out of it. And I, I don't think on any level that Haruki was planning to do something to her. I think he was just pissed off. And I think that was him emoting for the first time. It was him showing some level mm. of emotion, which just happened to be frustration and anger for the first time in the movie. But it was just such a strange scene overall. 
because I was like, I really like their friendship. And suddenly things are going a totally different direction. Yeah, that moment kind of felt out of place. And I don't know, because later on, um, Takahiro, that's where we get that scene with him. And like Takahiro like obviously gets angry at Haruki, punches him. Then Sakura comes out to come to Haruki's aid. And what was it that um, Haruki said? Like, something like she doesn't like guys who won't take no for an answer. Like, I don't know if him doing that or like Haruki doing that to Sakura was some sort of thing he wanted to to get straight. And that's why he said that with Takahiro. Well, yeah, like that confused me, right? Because I'm, I'm like, you're, you're, you're telling this guy that she doesn't like guys who won't take no for an answer like no shit you were pinning her down on her bed of course she's not gonna want to take no for or she's not gonna like that you don't take no for an answer not that again that haruki was trying to do anything mischievous like that like he i think he was just venting his anger he's just pissed off at her for toying with his emotions like that and Mm -hmm. i don't blame him um and obviously sakura is very remorseful afterwards we see that moment where she's crying or whatever um and it just like the whole thing unfolded very strangely and I was trying to wrap my head around it and I'm clearly still trying to wrap my head around it. I think I get the point of that scene, but I feel like there could have been a number of ways that would have been better to show us frustration from Haruki and maybe have some sort of tension between the two of them than to have this very awkward like sexual scene. Yeah, like I said, it just fell out of place and maybe it was just thrown in to, to give Takahiro a cameo or whatever. It almost felt like fan service. Yeah. And you don't need fan service in this movie because, like, it already gives me, like, emotional service anyway. I, I don't need fan service. Um, anyways, the last thing that I have on my my list of critiques um, is small, but it's actually the storybook part. I didn't necessarily enjoy that. I don't think it was bad. I get what, where they were going with it because, like you said earlier, they were trying to emulate the feeling of the la- – was it the last prince? The little prince. The little prince. Um, but I, I don't know. It just felt weird to me because the movie is so plain, like the way it's presented. And then suddenly you have this storybook part where, when Haruki is reading her farewell note and like, I, I don't know. It just seemed detached for me visually. It just seemed detached. Like the, what was going on, like her, her note and him responding to things in her note. That was fine. But just visually it was strange to me. Yeah. I thought it kind of dragged, but. I think just reflecting on it more, I think it was meant to serve as a contrast, kind of like Sakura's, like with her diary, that felt like a sort of general farewell. And then she had this personal letter to Haru, which again is framed through the style of, like the visual style of the little prince, just to kind of show how intimate their relationship was. Um, So that's the way that, I had perceived it, but I can see how, like you, you have this farewell, and then you have a second, basically a second farewell, um, to the point where it, it kind of reinf- sort of reinforced what was said in the first farewell, but I guess more pointedly towards Haruki. And so that brings us to our final thoughts for "I Want to Eat Your Pancreas." So, how many your no names? Out of 10, would you give this movie? Oh, I thought you were going to say how many pancreases out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would give it an 8.5. Again, I really enjoyed this movie, um, but I think that it does play it safe. Um, It doesn't do anything to push the envelope, to wow me. 
it's just like a really solid watch. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and it's just like a very no frills restaurant, but you know the food is always going to be delicious. You can't rate it a 10 out of 10 restaurant, right? Because it's it's probably not at that level, but it's still a solid choice and you enjoy it so much that you'll go back to it again. That's what this is. This is the no frills restaurant of anime movies. He's just saying this because like, the movie is about eating pancreas and so you I guess are. so. I didn't think about that, but yeah. It, it's the no frills restaurant of anime movies where you know anytime you go back to revisit it, you're just going to enjoy the shit out of it. Um, but it could it could have done something more, right? Like it could have elevated things a little bit, but maybe almost to disservice to the way the movie was supposed to be portrayed if it if it tried to do anything like that. So I give it a solid eight point five. It's not quite the nine level in my eyes, which I think I gave. Did I give a silent voice a nine? I'm just trying to do it from like a comparison standpoint. You might have. Yeah, now I gotta know. I, I I can't say these things without confirming. A silent voice pulling up my mal. I give it oh yeah I gave it a nine so yeah there's no way I could give like there's no way I could give this movie a nine they're not quite on the same level but they're close which is why I've landed on an 8.5 and what about you how many pancreases what was the original thing oh, I call it your no name your no name we, we don't know his name until he... <laughs> um but I also gave it um eight and a half out of ten um I was expecting a teenage romance film but I think I enjoyed it more just as the story about two close friends who changed their lives for the better um i think what detracted me were again those elements of like teenage angst that felt like like cliche additions to the story um i guess it somewhat served as a way for a haruki to like to show him opening up from his shell and kind of contrasting him with why he was so special to sakura compared to her other friendships um and even though like her impending death loomed over the whole movie i think the reveal about her true cause of the death it was like getting the rug pulled from under me but i i see it as like a more powerful moment to make the viewer really reflect on what it means to live like day by day and on that note as i said before the the one thing that i really took away from this movie was it's it's thoughtful message on <laughs> living your best life which <laughs> It's not Live like a, your best life. You know, I think that's such like a like an Instagrammy kind of thing. Living to say. my best life. <laughs> but like the way that this movie frames it is living your best life, even if it just means the little things. Like it doesn't always have to be the big statements, and just sharing um, that life with the people that you really care about, which is what um, Sakura showed Haruki how to do. Um, and, you know, to make a cliche quote out of a somewhat not anti-cliche movie, <laughs> it's not it's not the days in your life, but the life in your days that counts. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> Gather. I'm thinking like all the cliches that you see in like home decor aisles. Yeah, I guess this movie frames this in a way that doesn't feel so cliche. Thankful. I'm trying to think what other... <laughs> <laughs> I, we went shopping earlier today <laughs> what other shit did we see in the whole mile <laughs> but yeah those sayings now you've got them all stuck <laughs> in my head but anyway that is i want to eat your pancreas um which by the way i just love the whole 
motif of that particular sentence oh that's what i forgot to mention Mm -hmm. when he sends her that text later in the movie and you know from the beginning of the movie that's when like he says that that's the last text he ever sent her and he sends it when he's sitting there in the fucking cafe and i'm like oh no here it comes (laughs) the emotions (laughs) they're here you know it's out of context like if someone texts you i want to eat your pancreas and they don't respond back (laughs) (laughs) they don't understand the uh the cultural lore behind it that sakura explained to uh yeah which is was like um just wanting to i think she's like wanting to be part of one's soul trying to absorb their pains that they mm -hmm. can share it or not have to go through it or or something like that yeah so yeah the message itself is is very symbolic and again why why they named the movie as such but (laughs) out of context (laughs) you know and yeah i I, i'm waiting for the day that someone asks me what the hell is that movie about and then i'll tell them and they'll be like oh that sounds actually pretty nice it's not about cannibalism (laughs) (laughs) it's not a zombie romance film as i had originally thought but thank you everybody for listening um hope you enjoyed this movie as much as we did if you didn't definitely reach out to us or you know what if you did reach out to us as well we want to hear your thoughts on i want to eat your pancreas and we appreciate you tuning in and hearing all of our thoughts on this movie And that wraps up episode 61 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime that we review or on pancreases. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Live, laugh, love.